I like the idea and the notion that you get to choose your family in our world. Yes. And our, our friends are our family and have been for a long time. They've been chosen rather than biological. And one thing I find, which I love about our community and it gives me pride, is the strength and how we rally around each other and to a good cause. And they're usually great causes. And if someone's in trouble, I find that the community is there for you. My name is Dane, and I am a queer woman living on Wadarung country. I work as the Regional Community Engagement Coordinator for Midsummer, and I'm very proud to be part of the team who brought Pride Finder to life. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Wadarung and Jajawarung lands of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to Elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Vince and Daz, a beautiful gay couple who have moved to Ballarat to have a healthy separation between work and their haven at home. Vince is a prop maker by trade who works mainly in Melbourne on film and theatre, while Daz is the renowned drag queen Filma Box and so travels around performing as well as managing their workshop in Geelong. They've been together for about 15 years and share some amazing stories from that time with us. Whilst very accomplished, they are such a humble couple and listening to them is like being invited into their home for a cup of tea or, more likely, wine. Let's chat with Vince and Daz. Hi, my name's Daz Partington. And I'm Vince Partington. We live in Ballarat. So tell me about your move to Ballarat. When did that happen and why? It happened five years ago, is that right? Or coming up to four years ago now. Four years ago, yes. And we moved out here to buy some property um, and it was a goal of ours to own and live on some acreage regional. Ballarat wasn't our first choice, but we could afford Ballarat. <laughs> we looked We looked for about two years. We were going to uh, live in, in Geelong for a while there. Like we looked at a lot of places in Geelong, mainly because uh, Daz's work is in Geelong. That's where he has his studio. And I work in Melbourne, so we're Geelong's a little closer to Melbourne, but we really wanted to um, get out of the suburbs and, and live in the country, and that's what we're doing now, living that dream. And how's it going? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got about three acres. And um, no animals. Are, we had chickens for a little while, and um, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mad gardener. So, yeah, I had... I think when we were living in Yarraville, because we lived in Yarraville for a while mm. before we made the move, we had, like, a, a rental and, I think... A, when we left there, we had about three trips in a one-ton truck filled with trees that I had planted and grown in tubs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was about 120-odd hundred trees that I think I ended up planting oh, in the wow. property when we moved there. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How many of them are alive now? <laughs> Not many. We lost a few. It's hard to transplant, isn't it? It is, and... and 
Mel- and Melbourne's warmer. So um, mm. I didn't realise how much frost we got out here. So I lost a lot of a lot of trees in that first year. But um, if anyone's a gardener out there, you'll know um, it, it's all par for the course. Okay. Mm. Yeah, you lo- you win some and you lose some. <laughs> yeah. This is true. We've got tropical plants that are thriving. It just doesn't make sense. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just in strange. the worst soil in the worst climate. They go, like, oh, okay, you're right. I I'll give them here. as much attention and love as I can. <laughs> so, yeah. even though Ballarat wasn't your first choice, how are you finding it? How are you settling in and yeah, connecting with community and so on? Um, well, there is some community out here, but we use Ballarat as a haven because we have mm. such busy lives and very social busy lives with, with community and public. We use the Ballarat as a haven, so it's an escape to just have us time, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, it is mostly. And you know, we never felt like there was a, a division between work and, and home life, and it's trying to find that balance. Mm. So neighbours are not too close? Yeah. Uh, not as close as they were. <laughs> but not as far as they should be. like. <laughs> <laughs> At least there's not... Uh, there's a, there's a we've fed, got good neighbours. We've, we've got great neighbours. We've had a, some shockers yep. in the past. Yes. Um, and we've these guys homo- are We've heavenly. had some homophobic neighbours in the past. That's uh, really kind of given us the good relief while, uh, in this in, in situation to have great neighbours. And that's really important to have out here. Because if we had similar neighbours to what we've had in the past, we'd, there'd be a lot of trouble. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's the good thing that I've noticed about um, that is missing from our sit- when we were living in the city is that I think distance out here between people creates a, more, it creates a closer bond. Like People look out for each other a bit more in the country, which I really like. I, I think it's it's got a lovely mm. sort of feel about it out here. People are are more willing to say how's it going and just check in on each other. Mm. Whereas in the city, uh, it's much easier to be anonymous. Even though you're so close to yeah. together. Yeah, there's, anim- yeah. there's that anonymity yeah. that people seem to like to have mm. and probably for good reason. I mean, you know, we've I've always been a friendly type of person <laughs> that's gotten say, me into travel Say sometimes. hello to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like my mum, she says hello to everybody. <laughs> I say, Mum, do you know that person? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I get it from my mum too. (laughs) So how did you, in the past, how have you dealt with people like, you know, neighbours who are homophobic and so on? How have you dealt with that? Moved. Really? Yeah, we were in a... There's no point in fighting back. Mm. Yeah. Because the pushback just gets more and more aggressive each time you push back on these people. And these were very arrogant, uh, small-minded people. That would, I, 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 when uh, when burning objects started coming over the property and there was actual vandalism on the front of our property, we knew that it was time to leave. So we just contacted the real estate agent, sent them a bunch of photos, going, "This is what's happening to us. You understand why we have to break the lease?" And they were like, "Yes, we understand. That's fine." Yeah. And that was it. We were gone. Okay. So yeah, it's just one of those things. What's there's no point in pushing back. There's no education there that they would have understood or accepted. They were so angry at us to do those sorts of horrific things that they obviously wanted us to leave, and so we just did. We we fled. Mm. I mean, location is everything. Obviously, you're going to find those sorts of people in certain locations and demographics of um, area uh, areas of any any city, any town is going to have it. We were just unlucky. We were just unlucky to Mm. move there. We didn't know, and it's really rare. I mean, to be honest, I've I've moved to I've lived in a lot of places. 
over the years because I, well, I I'm, I'm I'm in my fifties now, so um, <laughs> I've lived in Perth, Darwin, <clears throat> uh, Sydney, and here in my life so and a lot of rentals and a lot of different places and to be honest that's pretty that that's the worst scenario that i've had yeah so I it's not so bad too. going at the end of you got to look at the silver lining you know <laughs> people are generally good natured and generally people have not had an issue mm. and I mean, i've always i've always been really open about my sexuality and who i am from the start uh yeah pretty much yeah, well, when I when I moved out of home, that was it. I was I'm, I'm out. I exploded out of the closet. I'm like, I'm out. Here I am. Um, and how, old, how old were you then? To, uh, tw- 19, 19 when I came out. Yeah. So uh, I think by then I was ready to burst. <laughs> and burst. <laughs> I was pretty much celibate all the way through high school. So I had to see all my friends, you know, doing this and doing that, having fun, and and I was like, oh god, and then. It was, university was where it happened for me. Yeah. That was the same story as I heard yesterday, actually. University was the Oh, place. universities. Uh, it's where, where all the rules kind of um, are broken. I think it's because it's an adult environment because I studied um, at WAPA, um, West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, and, um, and I studied um, prop making, which is pretty much what I ended up doing. But I think there was myself and probably two or three others who were fresh out of high school and the rest were adults. So it was an interesting environment to go into because you really had to grow up pretty quick. (laughs) So you grew up in Perth? Yes. Dad grew up in in Adelaide Hills. Mm -hmm. So So very similar sort Mm -hmm. of, yeah, it's, it's quite isolating culturally. Culturally, it was pretty isolating. It's one of the most isolated cities in the world. Yeah. Um, just geographically. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it had that, not a lot of external influences. And I don't know when I, because I, I was born in 1971 mm-hmm. and in Darwin. <laughs> uh, but I moved, I moved to Perth um, when I was five. So we only had like, you know, three television stations and every, all the external stuff that we got came through TV pretty much. This is before video and before everything. So, mm. And I'm sure Adelaide was the same for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was a little broader just because of its location. But again, I was up in the hills of Adelaide. So I probably experienced a very similar environment to you. But that's just um, through my parents' choice. But I, I have English parents. So I had a very different upbringing to you. I had a very English upbringing rather than an Australian one. Um which still is part of my culture, I guess, mm. in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I was very drawn to, to the sort of um, an, an English sort of culture mm. rather than Australian, I think, as a kid. For, I mean, I'm first born Australian. My both, just my both parents are English. Mm. They both immigrated out here with their families and met separately. What was it 10, 10 pounds? Oh, the 10 pound palms. Yeah, they're both of them, both families were 10 pound palms. Mm. So, my mum's whole family moved out except for one brother who was old enough to make his own mind up and stay mm. and then um, yeah my dad was the same um, I don't think growing up in that environment helped at all because I was a very uh, in insular kid anyway but that had a lot to do with a whole lot of factors of <laughs> 
perhaps being a very, um, how would you call it, probably feminine child. Not, not that I sort of pro project that now, but I guess I was. I was very different to everyone else, and I think that that affected my upbringing. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm not very comfortable talking no, about, to be honest. It's a very, it's a very deep and um, yeah, personal thing that yeah. I, I get very upset about. Yeah. If I was to talk about it, I probably wouldn't be able to finish. Triggered. This yeah, triggered, <laughs> triggers. But I think a lot of people identify with that Absolutely. as as, yeah. as kids growing up in a in a regional well, environment yeah. where you don't have access to community or culture or assistance mm. or help. I mean, it's very lonely, and I felt yeah. the same way. I mean, I, I grew up um, on the northern beaches in Perth, and and I was really different sort of kid as well like I was, I was the kid who was always wanting to put plays on at school and and um, and I could I could draw I was the only kid who could really draw really well like dressing up and uh, it's it just very different to all of my peers mm. and and I like playing with girls like from a young age I was always hanging out with the girls because they used to do this fun stuff that I like doing you know I didn't want to play football I didn't want to run around and you know bash everyone up and stuff like that. That was kind of not my scene. I was far more at home sitting at the back learning how to do batiking. <laughs> sitting in my backyard learning how to do batiking. What's or, batiking? What is batiking, yeah? Uh, it's, uh, it, it, my mum bought me a... My mum, I've got to thank my parents, really, because they were so... They really embraced um, my, my need to express myself. How beautiful. Mm. Yeah, they did. They... Um, Mum bought me a batiking set. Still haven't told us yes. what batiking is. That's the <laughs> I'm going to make you wait. Uh, it, it's Drawing a, it, it out. It's a, um, it's a, it's a form of um, textile printing where the, you melt wax and you draw, you uh, paint, yeah, paint wax did, onto um, fabric yeah. and then you dye it. And then you pull the wax off. And then you pull, and then you iron the wax out with paper yeah. and you're left with uh, patterns on the, on the fabric. Pretty. Oh. Yeah. Did you do flowers? I did flowers and birds. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you just made me think of hobby texting. Do you remember that? Yeah, similar. It's very similar. Wasn't that big in yeah. the Puff paint. 70s, 80s? Puff paint. Yeah, yeah I used to. I, I just used to love doing all that sort of crafty craft things. I, I, I pottery classes and I did all all sorts of stuff, which has really kind of helped me in in my career later on down the track because I like learning new things. And that's what my job requires is learning how to make different things and recreate things. Mm. So yeah, but it was it was very isolating because I didn't really have any any role models who I could um, anyone who was like me basically to go. You know, it's all right, mm. it's okay. You just you just you, and you're not alone. <laughs> I mean, today I look around and uh, since you know we've got the internet and we've yeah. got social media it's really great to um, see how although it still does exist in some places it's far more rare than it was when I was a kid yeah compared to having three television channels yes <laughs> and, and that was it exposure yeah. yeah and you know and, and that horrible when I was in high school the um with the Grim Reaper ads that they put out I was just showing just horrendously the frightening yeah yeah, you know, they, they, they could really push their agenda quite more heavily in society mm. back then, which you can't get away with now, really, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, yeah, sort of the reason why talking about, you know, 
just growing up in in sort of areas that are outside the city centres or regional isolated areas is how important do you think it is for organisations like Midsummer Festival to do the work in regional areas, even though like today is obviously we've we've come a long way, but how important do you think it is for to celebrate? Hugely important. Yeah. Because um, there are big communities out here, and quite often there's still stigma attached to it. So there's still those kids at school who might not be okay with wanting to express themselves or finding it difficult to actually connect with other people for some reason. So it's, I think it's always important to have, because there was nothing like that for me when I was a kid, so I really know the importance of it. And, I mean, you do um, festival work out in Beechworth, which was a little town, mm. and, and there's, you know, there's kids out there that we see coming on to the festivals and... You know, they're all dressed up and they've got their parents around. Mm. And it just makes my heart so glad to see that, mm. that there's that, um, the openness now that you just, people can really express themselves 100% yeah. rather than having to, you know, to change themselves to fit a demographic or to fit a social idea of what's normal and what's not. Mm. Because really, I think society is a lot more um, diverse than that, isn't it? Mm. I think it's long overdue as well. I think um, now that these festivals, which have been around for as long as we've been out, 25, 30 years, uh, there were only safe spaces within bigger populations and cities. You know, you'd never see this out in the, in the 90s when we came out. And it wasn't accessible to us, which is why people gravitated to the cities, and it was a safety, it was a safety net. So it's yeah, it is a very long overdue thing, but it did, it just takes a while for people to just get on board. And you could never have brought this van out if in an, in an environment like this with a sign out the front, and you know, without having being heckled. Um, so it's good that it's finally happening, and the message is reaching kids like us. When we were growing up, there were there are community out here, but it's so different because they have uh, to to a to a young identifying child, youth in our community, because they have more access to information than we did. They have the internet and they have support, and they can reach out to friends across across, across the, miles. the world. Across the world, yeah. So that's good. I, I think it's still important to have these activations out here, to, just to remind people that this is happening. It's different. It's different when you, um, I, th- I think, when you're looking at something on social media too. Now that it's good to always also have a, some physical place that you can go. And know that you can be safe. That's right. More so than just something on your phone, because it's not tangible. Mm. Do you feel like you both have made a contribution to society getting this far, like in your own way, in um, terms of being activists or pushing for change? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it's been a movement. It's been a movement that we've definitely been part, for you. part of in amongst our community, and we've taken risks. Uh, risks have paid off in our favour, but yeah, it's a, it's a it is a big movement for for a lot of the community, and especially in in my sort of immediate community of drag, which is where I work uh, sometimes. Uh, we've done a lot of regional work and a lot of regional festivals and and things like um, bars like piano bar have brought drag to a regional audience, and uh, yeah, the reception's been fantastic. You can't deny that, mostly. 98 percent. There's a two percent pushback, 
but yeah, in general, it's been amazing. Regional towns are gagging for some fun as well. They've seen it celebrated for so many years now. We know how to throw a good party. Yeah. Let's face it, we throw a fucking great party. <laughs> and they're like, well, you want to be a part of that? And it's like, sure, come and party with us. <laughs> Just uh, make sure you're here for the right reasons. Yeah. And let's go. <laughs> It's called Filmer's Workshop. Uh, it's a combination of a studio space where I create pieces, design. Um, it's an office because I do a lot of production management, uh, makeup studio. It's also wardrobe for for my for my drag and a bit of museum, uh, a gallery for my career, which has been extensive. Because I've not always done this, I've always had my fingers in the pies of. Uh, and most people would know this as an artist. You could be sort of good at many many things and I try to be as best I can at many things so for a while there I was um, working in film and TV um, before and drag was just a sort of a hobby but now drag has moved over into more of a full-time position where I can create costume pieces produce shows and entertainment packages and um, perform myself but it's interesting because now I've kind of looking at the future of that going well it's going to come a time where I don't want to or can't anymore so I'm looking at other things and that's always a big stigma about um, what to do next why is that? because I'm an old fat bastard (laughs) (laughs) you you baited me And putting on a pair of heels hurts. <laughs> Always has done. Now glamour hurts. is now, pain. Glamour is pain. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, to, might, might might tap into some animation again next year. We'll see where that goes. What was that? Sorry. Animation. Oh, wow. that's where he started out. Yeah, that's where I started. Working on film very and TV. very talented husband I have. <laughs> How did you find each other? Tell me that story, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, fifteen years ago. Soon. Yeah. 15 years ago. We got married last year um, after waiting so many years for our government to get their shit together. Yeah. And they finally did. Thank you. And um, we met... um, (laughs) At Freedom Furniture. Freedom Furniture. (laughs) I used to work at Freedom Furniture in South Yarra. As a salesperson? Yeah. Yeah. And I was shopping for a bed. The rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) He found my bed instead. That's it. I didn't sell him one. And they were too bloody expensive at Freedom, so I can't afford that. You don't want to buy that. That's it. Don't want to buy that stuff. Sorry, Freedom. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. And you were, and Daz was working on Adam Elliott's film, uh, Mary and Max, just down the road, pretty much. So we used to meet up for lunch dates. And um, I think our first date was at the Laird. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and I was so nervous that I spilt my entire beer all over him. You, no, you dropped your beer. Dropped my beer. And it smashed. Oh, that's right. And it went all over you. Yeah. That's great. And then you it's left. a bonding moment. And then you left. And, and then I thought, left. oh, they're, 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 that's gone. <laughs> See you later. Nice to meet you. <laughs> but, no, but he stuck yeah. around. He yeah, turned he up on my around. doorstep with flowers yeah. and... Uh, no, I put door, uh, flowers on your doorstep. That's right. It and, was my flatmate's. And it was your it was flat- flatmate's birthday at and the time. And she thought it was for her. And she opened the door and she goes, "Oh, you someone's born." 
brought me flowers. Are they beautiful and lovely and gorgeous? And I'm until like, she I didn't read know the who note. they were. She and then the she note. read the note, and there was a knock at the door, and um, and Daz is standing there. What are you doing there? And he goes, What are you doing here? He goes, Oh, those flowers were for you. And he took them off my flatmate <laughs> Anne and gave them to me, and she was very upset. Oh, yeah. Never <laughs> let that one down for years. Hello, Anne, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so that's how we met. Where were you both when the Marriage Equality Act was? I was in Broken Hill. Yeah, when you were, got a, when it got announced. You were doing a festival, and I think I was with some friends down in in Melbourne, right down at the at the library, outside the library, where they had a big stage, couple of stages set up, and um, Adam Bant was there, and a whole lot of a whole lot of people cheering, and it was really good. Hard to believe, really, in a way. I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I was confident. So this is our time. I wasn't 100% confident. They should have crossed the floor as a government, um, and I think they really let us down as a community to put it up to, like, as a... As a vote. the general public yeah, to Yeah, well, it meant, it meant that the naysayers could have their say, and aggressively as well. So that, yeah. they, they put us through that. Yeah, it was, hard. it was hard. It was a really difficult time. The lead-up was awful. Yeah. There was so much attack on our community. Yeah. Unfairly. Anyway, they've gone away now. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) Dear. Yes. So we finally got we finally got hitched, which was um, a long time coming. Fourteen years to wait. Mm. Because we got engaged. We got engaged the the first the first couple of the second year. I think we got engaged, didn't we? No, it wasn't that quick. We're not lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like four years in. No, yeah. you were in you were in the UK, and you gave me the ring. Yeah, I remember, Scot- I remember it. I was there. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that quick though, but maybe two or three yeah, years. Two, two years, three. But years. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to have an argument in front of you. <laughs> That's married couple life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for your listeners. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies to the lesbians as well, but you know it's true. (laughs) They're laughing with us. (laughs) And what does pride mean to both of you? I haven't really thought about it, to be honest, because I just lived my life pride. Yeah, it's it's about it's about um, a freedom to be who you are. And I think that's not necessarily, although the LGBTQI plus community has embraced that word, I think it goes across the board. I think everyone should be able to embrace that word. Mm. And it, what a great world it would be if everyone could just be themselves. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Wear so many different masks, don't we? Or yeah, I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And um, oh. for various reasons. And, and I'm done with that because I wore masks for a while and I'm done. I'm completely done with wearing masks. It's just me. Yeah. <laughs> really? Just, just yep. Done. Just me. I've always kind of been like that. Mm. No I bullshit. like the idea. I like the idea and the notion that you get to choose your family 
in our world. Yes. And our, 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 our friends are our family and have been for a long time. They've been chosen rather than biological. And one thing I find, which I love about our community and it gives me pride, is the strength and how we rally around each other and to a good cause. And they're usually great causes. And if someone's in trouble, um, I find that the community is there for you. And I find that quite, quite exciting because we are, we are infiltrated throughout the system. We're in every aspect of everyone's life. What's it though, called? The, it's like, it's uh, well, like I call pink, it the guy. I call the it the pink, gay, the pink mafia. The pink mafia. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and I find, I find, and I've and I've re- and I've experienced this recently when uh, I've come into some trouble where I've all of a sudden felt this big giant wall of community around me protecting me, and I've never had that before. And that was amazing. That was incredible. So that's pride for me. I, I feel I love that because we've been under so much attack throughout our lives in our community, and still are to a point. I still see it, I still witness it, still experience it, um, that uh, we're not putting up with it anymore and we stand strong with our brothers and sisters and um, non-binaries, mm. for sure. Mm. And does, when did you find that community in your life? When did it? Uh, when I came out, when I was 19 oh. as well. Okay. Yeah, I, went, I was in Adelaide and found the Adelaide community and they gave me the biggest hug. They just said, come, come be part of us. You're one of us. And that was it. Never looked One back. One of us. That's it. One of us. What's that from? <laughs> uh, the, the Minions, isn't it? No. Um, uh, it's a, one of those animated films. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. When I came out and that was it, there was no turning back. So like, this is my family. I found them. Here they are. And some of those people are still in my life to this day, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I want to ask you, who is your fairy god gay? <laughs> Very god gay. Oh wow! I have lots of them, but I've gonna if I'm gonna sort of get very spiritual about it. The current one is my mum, who's not with us anymore. Mm. But I have lots of them. Yeah, Most... my mum was my first. Yeah. For what reason? What would you say that? I think mothers and gay sons have a very special bond, typically. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. And I find that with your mum. Yeah. She treats me much the same as she treats you, and I just find that really endearing. Yeah. Um, but anyone that looks out for you is, is a fairy god mother, father figure. <laughs> mm. Without getting too deep into it, um, I've referenced that very saying to a man who I don't know who's queer, who's gay man, but he's a lawyer who's been looking out for me. And uh, I, call, I called him, I said, you're my fairy godmother. He said, I've been called many things before. Never that, uh, <laughs> but I will accept that and work with it. <laughs> it's very diplomatic. It's very diplomatic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I've, I put that out. That's when you feel that support there and it's generally from community. This is what I was saying before about people rallying around you. I mean, all of us are fairy godmothers in a way to each other. Uh, we look out for each other. We're not tearing each other apart. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's family, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah, is, the ups and downs. That's family. That's yeah. how I see it. It's like, yeah. you know, you're going to have your ups and downs, mm. but in the same way that I'd have it with a biological sibling. Mm. That's family, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. What about you, P? Who's your fairy godmother? Well, it'd be my mum. Your mum? Yeah. Yeah. My mum's my number one. Yeah. 
I would say so too. Yeah. She, uh, we just get each other. Mm. You know. Mm. She's she's been the shoulder I can cry on. She's been that person who I can I can pretty much tell anything to. Yeah. And she gets it. She didn't always. I had to. Oh. I had to work on that. Wow. Um, you know, I've had to do a lot of work what with mum and dad. When you were younger. When I was younger, when I first came out, okay. it was a bit of a struggle there for a while. And I wasn't, you know, I was a kid, so I made a lot of mistakes there as well. You know, I said I exploded out of the closet. I really, I really did, and I didn't really often take other people's, um, my parents in particular, their feelings into account. But, you know, I think I've made, uh, I've definitely made a, um, in ways on, on getting the, getting their affection back. And How did you do that? Like, Just really um, included them in, in my life. That was a big part of it because I did, I pushed them away for a long time. So I just included them in everything and, and just um, showed them that, you know, I'm still me. So I think that's all you can do, but it is work. It's work to try and have those difficult discussions and, and, um, and, and they have lots of questions and make sure that, you know, those questions are being answered honestly and yeah. If you were to ask your mum that question, like, how did she, you know, it wasn't always easy, it wasn't... What mm. do you think she would say contributed to her coming around and loving you for who you are? Um, I don't think she ever stopped. I think it was definitely more to do with, um, with, with me. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> with me. But certainly I, I helped by just explaining a lot of a lot of those preconceptions she had because mm-hmm. they, they both come from a very different era very different mm-hmm. era to what I, to what even I had to what's about to, you know what's available now it's if it was even more isolated they didn't know I think my mum said that she only gave people she knew was when she was working as a barmaid in Mount Isa and what and the bar the bar owner was gay and that was the only person she ever knew that was gay. And um, she said, oh, yeah, we used to have a great time, but that was it. So she didn't really have any other knowledge. So I think uh, apart from what everyone else, all of her friends thought about gay people, which generally was negative. So she just didn't want that for her son. And neither did dad, really. No, of course. You know, they just want—they just want the best for their kids, mm-hmm. and I think that's um, you know, you just got to show your kids that you that you love them and tell them that you know it's okay and and grow together. Mm. And they did that too. Mm. Great parents, wonderful parents. Yeah, I love them to this. The pardos, <laughs> the pardos, and I got two younger brothers, and you know, it was all—it was a journey for everyone, really. But it's all good. We've got a really close knit family. Very protective of each other. Mm-hmm. What is a perfect queer world? What does that look like? A world where everybody's accepted and feels safe to be. Here. I think we're pretty close to it now. Mm. That'll do. Can't expect everything. I think this is it. The one we're living, when you're happy. Mm. And 
um, yeah, that pride we were talking about before. That's a perfect queer world for me, and I'm living it. So I can't ask for much more. I don't want to be greedy. I think, yeah, I think, I think queer, queer world for the for the queers who are living in it. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, a perfect queer world. It's it, it's definitely um, one that you can feel yourself like express yourself without any sort of feelings of of any sort of uh, yeah, negativity or guilt or anything like that. It's, it, it's good that people can can be queer and also have the larger community, the straight community, whoever, um, actually um, accept you for who you are and have an understanding. I think it's all about understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding of difference um, is really important because we're not all the same. So I, I spoke to two people yesterday and they said that, you know, they still, like, read the space they're in before sharing who, you know, who their partner is or... Yes. I felt really sad about that. that yeah. That it's, something, it's something that we have always done is always measure ourselves mm-hmm. um, in company uh, when we're meeting strangers. And I still do that today. Um, and it's something that straight people never really do. It's almost like... It, we see it from the outside looking in. Do you know what I mean? It's it, um, it's like living in different worlds, and it's also like that because you know, my father's indigenous. Um, I'm indigenous, <laughs> but um, we. I also see that just living in this country. It's also about perspectives, and to share a perspective is really hard when that person hasn't had an experience with it. So you don't want to quite often force yourself on people I've always been very observant socially observant and just watching people and seeing and I think that just comes from it comes out of fear in a way of fear of of people <laughs> that's because it's been it's been educated to us that way yes but it's also a survival instinct it's a survival instinct I mean to put it into perspective and this is no negativity on, on this environment I feel on show at the moment like we've got a sign out the front saying there's gay people inside and that's why i'm constantly looking out the window going what's that person going to do are they going to come up and go what are you doing in there <laughs> like i actually feel that i feel trapped I like i feel like a caged animal saying there are gay people inside so did you put that into perspective then when we set this up that's how we <laughs> might be feeling because that's how i'm feeling yeah. and i look at that person they're going oh okay what are they thinking <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. What? Oh, sorry, did it make the room uncomfortable? No, no, no. no. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, I feel, yeah. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about survival, I think. Definitely that's how I feel about mm. it. I mean, if you you gotta, you got to choose your moments. Mm. I mean, we're out loud queer people, but I don't feel in, in any environment when we go out and do things that we need to announce it to to the world so when we go into a room and read the room it's like well are we reading the room so that we could be ourselves we could hold hands but we don't do that anyway we're not that type of couple but some people are Mm. but i i find as well with our community why why do we need to sort of announce our arrival unless in perspective 
I mean, if we want to be part of the community and accept, be, be accepted part of the community, we just have to be... It's all about... It just be na natural, I natural know. acting. But when we're in a festival and in a, in, a, in a march, and, you know, there are moments to do that. And it's about... It's all picking... about safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, safety. Because um, uh, uh, let's be... let's. To be honest, we don't live in that world yet. I've also got, you know, scars about being completely open all the time. I don't think I'd do that either. But certainly um, those survival skills are there for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, We don't live in... The, 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 I, like you're talking about the perfect queer world is when we can, when we can walk around and just have that same feeling that that straight people have about not not measuring themselves at all and just being a hundred percent themselves without even thinking, thinking about, about what yeah. other people would think yeah. about that yeah. it's just something that we will never or I, I i will never do um just because of my history mm. And also, as a drag performer as well, that's something I have to do when I walk into a space. I have to read it straight away. It's the first thing I do. Yeah, because it's like first it's thing like I do is clock target. the exits, then security, and then I look at then I try the and then I'm looking at the audience and like it's a very big read and you've probably got about twenty to thirty seconds to do that because you're also on show and people are looking at going, waiting for the entertainment to begin and at the same time you're sort of delivering something as well as reading the room. It's very, it's a very, it's a very interesting survival instinct. Um, so, you know, we're just used to doing it. Yeah. Well, you've been doing that for 20, yeah, 25 years. 25 years, yeah. So drag wasn't always as accepted as it is now either. That's right. So you were working in venues in, Adel safe, in Adelaide when it was a spaces. lot rougher back then. Well, and there were safe spaces, but now they were, we're safe. Now but, we're in but the they'd public. be waiting for you. They'd be waiting for you to leave outside sometimes. Oh, they? Yeah. you know, yeah. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. No, much. but it used to. <laughs> 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 yeah, you've seen big change. Yeah, yeah. big changes. Yeah. Big changes. But you know, for the better. I've got I've got an uncle who um, who's gay, and he grew up. You know, he was he was born um, back in 1930. He's in his 90s now. He was well, he born. still hasn't come out. No, he still hasn't come out. Because that's the stigma he has behind it. So it's really interesting. Um, he's, he just can't get his head around Darren and I being um, married. Just can't get his head around it. Or in a, or in a relationship it's for 14 sad. years. Poor guy. Because he could never, ever even contemplate doing that. Wow. Mm. G'day, Uncle Frank. I know you won't be listening to this. <laughs> G'day. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's a very, um, it's just interesting how society does change from generation to generation. I just, seeing the changes that are going on now, it's, it only seems to be getting better. So that is really comforting. Comforting for kids, and especially, you know, the, yeah. you, you have such a hard time being a kid anyway, just navigating the world and, and putting up with your own body changes and, you know, you don't need all that extra stuff piled on top of you. It'd be good just for kids in the future just to to not even really, you know, just be be themselves and be with whoever you want to, whoever makes you happy. 
I mean, there's still going to be heartbreak. There's all going to be all that good stuff. It's it's what it's what makes us um, so you know. That's I think you have to have the bad stuff sometimes to recognise the good, because it gives you uh, texture in your life. podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest and reflect the language, thoughts, history and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes.